Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Dave Pollard of Livco. As one of the founders of Livco, Dave can almost always be found with a coffee cup in his hand or in his near vicinity. Growing up in Richmond, Virginia, he was attracted to residential architecture from a very early age as he sketched floor plans for fun and absorbed copious amounts of 80s sitcoms. He stayed in Virginia to study architecture and building construction at Virginia Tech and moved to Chicago after receiving his bachelor's degree. Dave worked for several leading design firms in Chicago, including Optima and Getch Partners, where he grew his architectural knowledge before branching out to become the director of design for a residential developer. Some of Dave's other credentials include being a member of AIA and a lead accredited professional. He also holds a Master of Architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology and is a current board member for NARI Greater Chicago. Dave has three young kids and is a voracious hockey dad, often traveling with his twin son's team on the weekends. He is extremely proud of his backyard rink, which he manages during the winter months. He is also a self-proclaimed Lego master, but we believe him, wouldn't you? Now for the conversation with David Pollard. Hey, Dave, glad to have you with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Spencer. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, let's dive in, maybe give some context. What's the company? Where are you guys located? About what size are you? And what kinds of projects are you doing? Yeah, for sure. So we're Livco. Live Companies is our full name and our nickname is, is kind of evolved to, to uh, Livco over the years. So we're full-service design build, mostly large-scale remodels and additions. We do an occasional custom home, but pretty similar to a lot of other professional remodeling companies where one team of 12 people that execute all the projects. And we usually do about 12 to 15 projects per year. And revenue-wise, we're about 4 million, I think, this year or last year. And we work primarily in the western suburbs of Chicago. And uh, Chicago is a pretty big metro area. So we train over the years, we've learned to, pr- to try and stay pretty focused just within a 30-minute radius of our office, which is the western suburbs. Right on. Yeah, very cool. Did you you start the company or how did this all get rolling? Yeah, so we're almost 10 years old now. And this summer will be 10 years old. I have a partner. So Russ and I worked for a developer, I guess, 12, 11, 12 years ago. He was the director of construction. I was the director of design. And we kind of hit it off, you know, left side and right side of the brain coming at it from two different ways and kind of realized, you know, I think, I think if we work together, there's a lot of opportunity for what we can do. And we started out with an instant company doing foreclosure rehab work. Hmm. So we started 10 years ago, a very different company than what we are, which is a pretty interesting and long story. But probably what you see today is maybe Livco the last five, maybe six years, something like that. 
Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear about kind of how you got from A to, to B. I'm sure it was more like A to Z. So you started with kind of the foreclosure, you know, rehabs and everything, but like, what was the next shift? You know, what got you one step closer to what you guys look like today? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's path of least resistance. In some ways, it was. So Russ is a former home builder. So he got, you know, decimated in 2007 or 2009 when all that stuff happened with the great financial crisis. So, you know, he was building, developing lots, things like that, and was kind of left. I think he was always a little bit more careful about really getting back into that world. And he's 10, 12 years older than I am too, which is interesting. I just listened to your your talk with Jeremy the other day and really very interesting because he has a partner that's a little bit older too. And so different life experiences. I had newborns. He had kids in high school. So I was ready to take on the world and he was trying to be a little bit more careful about it. So we didn't have any money. So we had a credit card and I think I had like $5,000 you know, enough to get Liveco t-shirts and business cards and all that <laughs> stuff and our general liability insurance enough to have a company. And then we had our first job before we had a company. So what was happening in foreclosure rehab world is that there were these huge institutional investors from California that were coming throughout the U.S. and they were buying up all the foreclosed homes and they were fixing them up and they were renting them out. And the problem with these big financial guys is they didn't understand really the nuances and challenges in actually fixing up a house in a cold climate and doing that you know, by the thousands was even more more complex. So they needed to hire local people to do the work. So Russ and I kind of swooped in and said, hey, we don't swing hammers, but we're a really good intermediary between the banking world and the trades. And so we could coordinate it in a way we could deal with their Salesforce cloud system to input bids and all that. And then we can make sure that the trades are getting the work. So we hopped onto that and we had our first job. And then, you know, like I said, got t-shirts and business cards. So we didn't really need a whole lot to start working. And then we kind of figured it out as we went. Very razor thin margins. It was just the two of us. I was kind of running the, the office side of things. And then Russ was running around to the field. And then we partnered with a lot of other kind of smaller general contractors, more chucking a truck type guys. And we thought we would have about 18 months of work. So we ended up, I think, doing it for about three years. I don't think we could do it any longer. It was just too grueling. So as we were going, we, you know, connect with people. I bought a house and put an addition on it. We had friends and family that were like, hey, can you do, you know, an addition for us or a remodel? So we just kind of started picking up projects as we went and use that to organically transition over to just doing that work. But I'll tell you, I didn't know that it was really what we're going to end up doing for the rest of our lives because I didn't know that we could make any money doing it. You know, I think historically from looking at the outside, you know, a remodeling company isn't really a way of making a living that's predictable or, you know, very professional. So I think we always figured we'd probably do new construction, do more fix and flips, do more kind of real estate based stuff. And then, you know, with Remodelers Advantage and other companies in the area that we connected with, we realized, wait, there's this whole other world of professional remodeling 
where you have a real business and you have, you know, actual overhead and admin and bookkeepers and marketing budgets and all those exciting things. And you can run a functioning business. So once we learn that, we're like, all right, let's do it. And that's what we're doing now. Nice. Yeah. Why do you think that was the way you thought about remodeling? Was it just that kind of stereotypical chuck in a truck? Like that's just what you thought of the industry or, you know, you said it didn't quite like click until you connected with like RA and some other companies that were running, you know, more professional style company. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of stereotypes and I'm an architect. So I worked for numerous, for not numerous, but, you know, several different architecture firms and large scale design build companies, building huge condo buildings, things of that nature. So that just seemed like a much shinier way of, of doing business. And I didn't know any remodeling companies that were, you know, that, that were doing it in a shiny way that weren't vanilla. Mm. So that was another big part of it, right? Like kitchen and bath, you can come in, you know, change your cabinets out, put in white cabinets, change your countertops in and out. And that wasn't really something I was really interested in. So to be able to, to find a way to connect the dots between thoughtful and good design and something that's a little bit more authentic and special and whether or not people were willing to pay for that. You know, I think there was a, there was a lot of kind of head trash questions in there. I got that answer at my first RA meeting jumpstart and Tim Fowler asked what your burning issue was. And I was like, I just don't know that we can scale, you know, doing really cool, good work and be able to have a bigger operation that can do that. And he, he just looked at me and just said, that's head trash. He's like, that company right over there, go to their website. They do really good work and they do it at scale and they do it and have health insurance, you know, <laughs> and all that stuff. So I think once I kind of broke through that barrier of realizing that you don't need to be the tortured artist's soul, right? And you don't need to be, you know, the guy that's swinging a hammer. You can be a business person and bring all those things together. And people want that and they don't know where to find it, you know, our clients. So I think it just took a lot of learning and the dots eventually kind of connected. I think what we are today is um, what I would have always hoped, but didn't know that it was possible slash marketable slash people were going to pay for it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and feels like almost like a case of what you don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And then you kind of be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is possible. And then then you go and start making it happen. Yeah. That's super that's cool. Fair. What do you think has been like one of the, the toughest parts of just like owning and running a business? One of the toughest parts? Well, you know, that you don't know what you don't know is so true. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it kind of fun and exciting for me. And when we've evolved, I think I always thought it was going to be really hard to kind of hand off the reins of what I do or what I thought I brought to the company. I think that proved a little bit less challenging. Like I, I seem to be actually pretty comfortable and allowing our team to do what they need to do. But I, I expected that to be more of a challenge. You know, I think... There's so there's so many things in what we do that are just really, really difficult in a remodeling company. And the hardest part is kind of keeping a finger on the pulse of why we do this, you know, and why we enjoy it. <laughs> that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Most really successful remodeling companies or the ones that I know have a real passion for making things and building things and clients enjoy them. 
then it, it's easy to kind of forget about that and the chaos of a window delivery truck get, get in a car accident, you know, and all those yeah. things that just kind of are uncontrollable. So I think that's the hardest part is just that it's, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster in this industry. I'm sure in a lot of industries, but in this one in particular, I've always said there's a reason like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are going to Mars, but they won't even, you know, touch the home building industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I haven't heard of that, that before, but it, yes, it, there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. So do you feel like the roller coaster, like the peaks and the valleys are similar to like five years ago, or does that like, does it get more temperate as you learn more and move along? Or is it just like this industry is so crazy? It's always like a big roller coaster. No, no, I think it's definitely, you know, more, more temperate now or more stable. And a lot of that has to do with us focusing on what kind of our best project type is and client type, which took a long time. That's another big challenge of being a business owner for someone like me. I'm extremely impatient. So like, I just, I just want it to happen. Like, okay, let's just get our perfect client type. Well, you have projects that you're already working on that aren't your perfect client type. And then you're getting rid of those. And then you're making business decisions to you know keep everybody busy. And then that legacy stuff kind of turns through. So you get kind of exhausted from that. But I mean, again, we're 10 years old. And I like looking at companies that are still trying to figure all that stuff out and they're 25 years old. You know, and I don't feel so bad about it. So, you know, I have a level of, of a perfectionist mentality in me as well as impatience. So <laughs> I had to learn to temper that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, once we kind of zero in on our, our ideal client and our ideal project type, that has and been able to sell that consistently. That creates, you know, a lot of consistency and, and stabilization for everybody at our company, which feels really, really, really good. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. That piece does, I feel like it does take a while and it takes some experimentation. You know, you try something like, ah, that, that didn't go well. Like, okay, yeah. Oh, these went really well. Okay. Can we make money on that? Like, it's not just one factor. You could love right. doing a project, but then maybe it's just like, yeah, that's not how we're set up. Yeah. I'm curious. You said you're really impatient. I'm sure you have like, kind of like a vision for where you want to be next. Like, what does the next three to five years look like? Like, where are you guys headed? So, <laughs> In Chicago, 
I think part of what Russ and I have, have talked about is that while we're extremely busy and the lead flow is out of control and all that stuff, we're intentionally not trying to grow. We really like the level where we are revenue-wise. And I think if we get any bigger, we have to build out other teams. So you know, I think over the next 12 months, it's really just continuing to get better and refine, which you know is a never-ending process. But I'm hoping that with the team that we have right now and the way that everything's working, we'll have a little bit more time to do that. And then longer term, we have some pretty big plans that our, our leadership team will be talking about that today, but those aren't really very public yet. So have me on in a couple of months. We'll talk about it. It's going to be cool. cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a, an update on the future of Libco. Well, that's cool. It's always exciting to have some things in the future that you're looking forward to and planning and thinking about. Yeah, I, I'm more in that visionary seat. So like that's where I love spending a lot of like brain space in. So I'm excited for your leadership meeting today. I'm sure it's going to be fun thinking about that. Well, I think that that's one of like the coolest things about this business, you know, whether it's remodeling or home building or home services or anything related to housing, there's so many different avenues of, of opportunity and people always need a place to live. So I think when the pandemic happened, Kyle Hunt was kind of asking the question, like, you know, what can we say that's like positive? And it's like, guys, we provide a core human need of housing. We can reposition that in a lot of different ways and still kind of achieve what we love doing. So that's what's really fun about being in this industry. So are we remodeling? Are we a design builder modeling company in 20 years? I don't know. Maybe Amazon Home Services has built out something that we're a part of and we have you know, more cartridge remodel solutions that are happening. (laughs) So, I mean, I like thinking about how we can offer our services and really good design for less money, but we're not there yet. Right now, we need to charge a lot of money because it takes a lot of time and energy to get there. But I think there's opportunities to standardize that stuff and make, make some incremental changes to the remodeling industry. Because what we see today is pretty much the same as 30 years ago, I think. Yeah, right. sure feels that way. Yeah. There's Builder Trend and Co-Construct and iPhones and Matterport. But other than that, kind of the core functions are exactly the same. So I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity in that over the next 10 years. Yeah. What are the first couple of things that come to mind in that kind of arena of advancement, whether it's, you kind of said like cartridge installation, I'm, I'm thinking like, is this AI, is it automation? Is it like the way we produce the materials or what, what do you think will be like the first domino or two to like actually start to make a dent in some of those like advancements in this industry? Okay. So we might have to have a whole nother like two hour episode on this. All right, great. Episode. We'll just keep rolling. Now, um, <laughs> so if I, if I rewind a little bit, if you kind of go through my meandering river path of Dave Pollard, how he got to Livco. So I was working for Getch Partners, who's a well-known international architect based out of Chicago, working on large-scale hotels in Saudi Arabia. They're really cool, but like I felt so disconnected from the scale. And so I left that job and I went back to graduate school. I was already licensed architect. Everyone thought I was a crazy person. Like, why would you go back to architecture? Go back to architecture school. You're already licensed architect. There's no reason to do it just going to cost you $50,000. So I did a one-year master's. And what I was trying to solve is how architects can be more involved in housing and the design of housing at a large scale, because it's such a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of projects actually have design architects involved in them. So 
I was looking at, you know, lessons learned from the past, which is modular housing, you know, prefab housing, Listron houses, all these different things that were just failed. And what I kind of realized is I believe that the reason that those failed was because architects were always shoving themselves into the world and trying to tell builders how they should build things. And the builders are like, that's not how the world works. We've been building stuff like this for forever. And, you know, you look at a regular platform framing two by four stud construction system. It's pretty incredible. It's really, really versatile. So why are we reinventing that, right? So I propose just to shake up all the architecture professors at Illinois Institute of Technology, like quit telling them how to build buildings. Let's look at our own design systems and maybe think about how that could be different, right? Like the normal architecture model of hiring the firm, you know, and, and going through that, like that architecture practice model has not changed for, I don't know, 60 years. You had David Supple on your first episode, which I haven't listened to yet. But we talk about this stuff all the time. That guy's awesome, by the way. I was just going to say, it sounds like you guys need to get connected, but I'm yeah. sure you've already had lots of conversations about it. Yeah. So it's like, let's, let's rethink how we can deliver good design through existing building systems and kind of rearrange the pieces. So that's where my head is, is, you know, in the future is trying to figure out a way to allow um, the end user to have more impact on their design through series of rule sets. So right now, the way that we design a house is we come in and we just come up with a bunch of ideas and we make it super cool. And we're like, here it is. This is what we think. And then that's expensive. But if you can design, if you can define a rule set, you know, that has 10 permutations per piece, then all of a sudden you have, you know, 1500 different options that the end user can actually interact with and manipulate their design without paying me to do it. Right. I've already defined as the designer how far you can go with that. I can't, I'll, I can design it so that you can't make something bad. It's kind of the idea. I like so that. I see, you know, user interface systems. I think HiArt's doing it right now with new construction or trying to kind of do that stuff. I get really excited about what we can do with Roblox, you know, like I'd really like to kind of figure that out. So I think there's a lot of software user interface stuff that can be really beneficial for what we do. And that can go into the output of the drawings and the specifications and everything that comes out, which would be that cartridge. So I'm not trying to change the way that we build things. I'm just trying to change the way that we get to understanding what we're going to build. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, and I feel like uh, you're right. We could could block off another two hours. So we'll, we'll kind of pivot <laughs> and uh, we'll come back to that when we get the update on uh, your leadership meeting too. All right, well, I'm sure you've had like a wacky client story or a crazy project or something over the years. Anything coming to mind? So... I'll talk about two. One is back in our foreclosure rehab days, which we try not to think about because it wasn't really that glamorous. <laughs> but we, we had a house and is it, it was a huge house. It was a really, really nice house. One of like the nicer properties that the company owned and wanted to rehab and rent out. And so they're unoccupied. So we had a massive like plumbing leak explosion. There was water coming out from underneath the garage door. The neighbors called the fire department. There was just water everywhere. And so we're freaking out. You know, we have, that's like our only project. You know, we don't really have a whole lot going on. I remember Russ saying, well, worst case is that's why we have insurance. You know, like, what do we do wrong? But it turns out the supply line to multiple sinks sheared off, just broke. Oh, geez. 
it was the craziest thing and we couldn't believe it. And so I actually ended up getting a check from the Chinese company that manufactured them to cover the repairs. We didn't think we'd ever see that money. Like we were like, we'll get Home Depot involved, all this stuff. (laughs) So it's just another example of, you know, just always, it'll work out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As Russ likes to say, we'll manage through it. So that was a happy, happy ending to that. And then like one of my favorite client stories is, it's not really a story, but we did this big addition for this family with three kids and tore out the whole back of their house and built this two-story addition. And, you know, it's five and a half months long. And the whole family with the three kids all lived in one bedroom for five months. And they're just like, I see them walking to school every day. I'm like, I wonder if they're closer because of that. You know? <laughs> you hope, right? <laughs> right? Or they all hate each other. It's like yep. Willy Wonka, right? Where the grandparents and all the kids are all in one bed. <laughs> so those are the, the moments I like to, to you know, think about and enjoy because it is fun at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, and for that family too, like it might've been difficult or whatever it was, but like, it's a story for them. They're going to talk about it. They'll always refer back to that. Remember when we all shared that one bedroom, you know? So. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, cool. That was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. We all love that. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with a couple of questions. I've been asking everybody this, but like next 12 to 36 months, what are one or two big challenges that we all need to be thinking about as an industry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to watch what's kind of going on with interest rates and all that stuff because that affects us for larger projects. But I think there's a flip side of that as well, where if people are less likely to move, they're possibly more likely to remodel. So I think there's just still so many unknowns going on in the world. So our our primary focus is doing what we we do, not trying to grow like crazy, just trying to get better. Yeah, I agree. There's like, it just feels like a wacky time right now. There's just so so much going on, a lot of uncertainty. But the weird thing about that is like, normally I feel like when there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of inaction, but there's a lot like so much going on right now. So that to me is a weird dichotomy. Like normally you don't see that. So that just makes it even more weird, you know? So yeah, right. (laughs) But yeah. All right. So we'll wrap up. If you could give one piece of advice to other remodelers, people listening, what would that be? Oh, man. Spend on marketing. I know you like to hear that, but it couldn't yeah, be. That was, yeah, that was yeah. Un- unscripted there. So No, it's, it is like the most important piece of how we got to where we are today, which is finding that ideal client. And if I go back to one of our first really cool projects... I remember the clients when they hired us to do it, they were like, you have no idea how hard it was for us to find you. And you're like the perfect fit. So that's like a head scratcher. It's like, well, what do I need to do to make it so that people can find me and know who, who we are? And that's just all marketing, right? So that's yeah. led to where we are today. It took us a while to you know, be comfortable investing the dollars that we needed to do, but it's you know, clearly paid in dividends. Yeah. And yeah. From day one, we've hired professional photographers. So we've always been good on content, which has been huge too. That's key. I mean, it surprises me how many people don't hire professional photographers. It's like, this is everything you do, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what it's yeah. all about. Yeah. Otherwise, you could just be, you know, trying to sell yourself as the cheapest. And that's not really a good place to be. We no. be the best. So we have to show that we're the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on something too with that example with the the client that said, Hey, like it it was so hard to find you, but it was a good fit. I feel like 
almost every business, you know, percentage wise, like 95 or, or even higher, like our biggest challenge is just obscurity, right? Like nobody knows about us because we're competing like with social media and the big businesses that are branding Nike, like all of those guys on TV, you know? So it's like, if you're, if you're small, like that's all of our biggest challenges. It's just like, right. how do we, how do, how do I get myself, my brand in front of my ideal client? And if you can do that, then sounds like that's worked out well for you guys. Yeah, for sure. It definitely takes spending some money. You know, you just got to do it. Yeah. Well, well, good advice, extra good advice because it was around marketing, but uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Dave, I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and your time with me today. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.